This is Channel 253. In this episode of Nerd Farmer. The way this justice system works, when if you're black, you're already guilty. There's, there's really, it's so hard to fight. And thank, thankfully, we have so many people who are smart and willing to step up to do the right thing. And hopefully, you know, watching, watching all these films will bring a lot of insight on how uh, minorities feel about the criminal justice system and how it affects us. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is the Nerd Farmer Podcast, a national conversation through a local lens. Welcome to the Nerd Farmer Podcast, an interview show. My name's Nate and I'm your host, an American teacher abroad. If you're like me during the quarantine, and I hope you're like me because I like me, uh, if you're like me, you have been consuming a lot of uh, Netflix, maybe a lot of audiobooks, a lot of paper books, just a lot of media in general. And the next few episodes of the podcast are going to be kind of inspired by some of my consumption uh, during the quarantine. I want to talk today about a show called How to Fix a Drug Scandal. This is a Netflix documentary that I think you should watch. And so we're going to go into this conversation, like assuming you've watched it, but like, if you haven't watched it, you'll be fine. But like, you need to watch this show. Uh, I firmly believe that if we lived in a, in a just society, like this would have been the cultural phenomenon that, that Tiger King was because it's like one of the biggest acts of injustice that I've seen play out, but we don't live in a just society in the United States. And so like, nobody's seen it. Uh, that's the pressing. That's also real talk. Uh, speaking about consumption, some upcoming episodes, uh, a couple of things to keep your eye out for. Uh, number one, the Nerd Farm Reads book is Know My Name, the uh, memoir by Chanel Miller. Uh, it is the story of her survival and reclaiming of her name after being raped by Brock Turner, the Stanford rapist. And in addition, we're going to have an episode later on about the uh, show Wild Wild Country, another Netflix documentary. This one's, I think, even more crazy. It's about a cult in Northern Oregon that... Uh, yeah, just a, a, a free love cult that was probably born in the 60s and then lasted a little bit too long into the 80s. And you see some like proto-Trump threads in them. But like that's that's for them. That's for them. Uh, I want to turn to my guests right now. Uh, I have two, uh, both kind of all-star returning guests on the show today. Uh, we have Katie Evans. Katie, how are you? Hey, uh, I'm awake. It's exciting to be here. <laughs> I, want to, I want to thank you for coming on this early. It's early for you all. Uh, and Salong, so welcome back to the show, my man. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me again. This is exciting. Uh, Salong, do you have some like electoral news you want to talk about really quickly before we uh, before we get started? <laughs> you put me on the spot, huh? I uh, yeah, I just filed uh, to um, get into a PCO position, which stands for I don't even know what it stands for to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Let me look it up. Precinct uh, committee officer. Yes, precinct committee officer. Ooh. I read on Twitter there was a precinct Corona officer, but either way. But yeah, I'm excited. Um, I was um, recruited by Justin Camarata, very wonderful fella. Uh, we chatted uh, a few days ago about it and um, just another way for me to serve the community, man. I think the Cambodian community here has to be more civically engaged and um, I can't talk the talk without walking the walk. So here I am. I love you for it and I respect it, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we're trying to timestamp everything on the network so you kind of know where things are fitting in based on events. Uh, so if you're listening to this right now, we're recording on May 14th. Uh, back in Washington, it's like eight o'clock in the morning. Here it's Ramadan and like the prayer call just went off. So we have good audio going forward. Uh, really fast, like this documentary came to me via a past show guest named Refrans Davis. Uh, I had Refrans on and we talked about ed technology. And then her and I were DMing afterwards. And she's like, you have to watch this show. And like, I watched this and I was absolutely blown away. And so I, I want to just talk to you both about like what we're seeing happen in this documentary. Uh, Katie, can I start with you? Do you mind? I do not mind. So Katie, when you sat down to watch this, like what was going through your head after the first 10, 15 minutes and after the first episode? So I did no prep when you said, hey, watch this. I was like, all right, I'll watch basically anything right now. So sure, let's go for it. Um, 
And I do want to say that I was struck by the, um, the intro. It's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the close up of um, drugs doing stuff, apparently. I did not know that was a thing I was into, but um, I, so I went in totally cold. Um, and it did what we're seeing kind of a lot of these um, serialized documentaries do, where you don't really get a good idea of what's, what you're getting into in the first episode. And they kind of throw a lot of info at you. Um, and so you're trying to put the threads together and kind of trying to guess what the mystery is before uh, it all comes out. So, um, and I do enjoy that structure. It's getting a little old, but I do like it. Um, so yeah, going in cold was fun. And uh, it also gave, this is not like a, it's not a huge mystery, but as the uh, information starts compounding, I feel like that was kind of the point of the of the show when you when you really feel how big the scandal got with just you know we we have a remind me names we've got um Annie and Sonia is that right um when you see those just these two folks who somehow were able to make this huge mess and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger that's when it started to get like when, when the woes started coming out, like, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I was, yeah, there's that cringe, like, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, mm-hmm. so, so long, it's my hope that people uh, listening to this have watched this series already, but some folks haven't. Could you kind of, like, lay out, like, what is the story that's being told in this documentary? Well, it's a story of a systemic breakdown of the whole system of the drug testing in Massachusetts. You, you have these two respectable lab chemists that are supposed to test these drugs with integrity because all of these lives are being affected and one gets, uh, are we allowed to talk about the spoilers or? You know what, spoil away, spoil away. (laughs) Okay, I mean, uh, I think uh, the the cases are different but similar in a way that a lot of these two lab chemists kind of fabricated test results. One got addicted to the drugs they were testing and the other one was, I think, so pressured on succeeding and being accepted and wanting to be part of this system that um, they both kind of spiral downhill and, and just spiraled. And um, my whole thing is as that it might've started with these two folks, but the whole system is responsible because there's a breakdown somewhere and the public trust was just lost. And you can, watching this didn't really surprise me because if you study the justice system or know about how the government operates. I mean, it's just been corrupt ever since the beginning. And this is, and they're just part of that corrupted system. And, uh, you know, it's unbelievable, but it's not surprising. Um, and I, I really like how I, I appreciate how the, uh, the series kind of try to humanize these folks. Cause a lot of times when we talk about people being corrupt or committing crimes, they, they just become, uh, uh, dehumanized for their actions, but if you look at their background and why they did these things, they were pressured or whatever the reason was. I think it was important to explore the human side of it as well, and as far as addiction goes. And I think uh, Sonia Farak was her name. She had an addiction too. She was addicted to drugs, and she was trying to um, compensate for her uh, shortcomings in life. And whereas Annie Dukin, I think she was addicted to the high of being accepted, being praised, and just, uh, you know, being enabled to succeed and seen as this really, really respectable, uh, she was like an expert, and I think she got high off of that. Yeah, if you haven't watched the show, and again, you should watch the show, it'll help this conversation make sense. Uh, It's essentially a documentary about two drug labs, one in Western Massachusetts, one in Eastern Massachusetts. And in both drug labs, there are drug techs whose jobs are to basically test samples of drugs in order to give like reports back to the police on whether or not like drugs that are kept that are captured in arrests are like actually what they're supposed to be. And basically for different reasons, both both uh, drug techs are falsifying the evidence and based on falsified evidence, like literally thousands of people are convicted and many of these people did have drugs, right? But like many of them don't. And it's just, it, the, the issue is that it, it interferes with the reasonable doubt that people accused of crimes are supposed to have and the protection they're supposed to have in their due process. And for me, it's just another pylon about like the immorality and just like the wrongness of the drug war. Like 
yeah. people of color in particular. And like, if, if you look at the people who are being charged in these crimes, like people of color in particular uh, fall under the, uh, the, the, the authority and jurisdiction of law enforcement through drugs at a rate that is just higher than white folks even engage in the same behavior. And we even see that play out in the documentary. We'll get to that later on. Uh, Doug, you're actually a guest in this conversation, which I'm excited for. You, <laughs> one of my favorite things about you, Doug, is I feel like every time I talk to you, I found out you have a new hobby, right? So like, you make podcasts. You're also a musician, plays like 20 instruments. You dabble in acting and like production. What were your thoughts on like the execution of this drama, like as a, as a, a set piece and a piece of film? I think it would have benefited from being a single feature length film as opposed to four one hour episodes. Um, mm-hmm. I th- thought that it was a fairly scattered approach and wasn't organized well. And sometimes you had like 20 different people saying the same thing. There was a lot of repetition and commentary. There wasn't a, a particular thread that ran through it, nor were there, was there a thesis statement initially that helped guide you through it. Um, on its, on its, how it benefited in that way is I think it was structured in the same way that an addiction is structured. And yeah. I, think they, I, think they, I think they structured it around that very notion of addiction. So as the addiction of these two characters went to, you know, acceptance and the other two drugs, a lot of drugs. Um, as, Wait, and, and Doug, a lot of drugs. Like, I, of, I, I, I was like, drugs. I was like, oh, she's she going to smoke some weed. I was like, oh, and like, is it episode two? I'm like, she's smoking crack in the lab. She's, she's, like, why is the lady she, smoking crack in the lab? She's doing LSD and trying to work. Yeah, I mean that's nuts. So, um, so structurally, I had some issues with it. I thought it was repetitive. Um, but but I can see how it, why it did what it did, and 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 the benefits of that. I would say. And by the way, you mentioned a lot of folks floating in and out of the film uh, in front of the uh, documentary. We're actually going to have a follow up episode to this conversation. Uh, Luke Ryan, who was one of the lawyers representing people uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. in the film, is going to be on the show. We'll record it with him next week, and that'll come out after this episode as well. I'm excited that for that conversation. That's so exciting. Yeah, I'm very excited for that. 47,000 um, criminal cases were vacated. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. That's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, Katie, you, your, your brain sees things differently than my brain does. Uh, <laughs> Doug talked a little bit about like the production. Uh, what were some of the choices in the filmmaking that you thought were uh, enlightened choices and were some choices that were like less enlightened choices? Um, I mean, I agree with Doug <clears throat> in uh, a lot of those aspects. I, it's like one, one fully formed feature length or maybe even a much longer series would have been amazing. Um, so who knows what the machinations at Netflix were about that. But because, because uh, the filmmaker, um, Aaron Lee Carr, is so... Uh, she she often will go into these kind of true crime documentary stories with um, a, a, something she describes as radical empathy, um, which she also uses conditionally. She won't do it for every single you know true crime story that she goes after, but in this case, um, uh, that was really forefront for her because she's um, uh, she describes herself also as an out sober person. Um, so seeing what Sonia was struggling with when it came to, um, addiction, um, and her spiral was, uh, I think that aspect of the storytelling was probably the most powerful. Um, and I also did love kind of following Luke Ryan's, um, kind of his journey, um, and how difficult it was for him to get anything done, um, regarding this case. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say that, uh, overall you could kind of, you could tell the storylines that, that the filmmaker cared the most about, which I also, I like being able to see the humanized side of the filmmaker too. Um, but then I just kept wondering about so many little, there's so much information in this documentary. And I think that's part of the, part of the, um, why it would be captivating and exciting to try to tell the story. But then as you keep peeling these layers, you're like, and then there's this big mess over here and then this one over here. So we definitely got a good view of all the messes. Um, but then I wanted more excavation in each, in each messy pile. <laughs> sure. So I almost I, think it might, I oh, just would have loved, I would have loved to have heard from Sonia and Annie. And I know that's, that's the reason these, 
these documentaries become the way they do like the the subjects don't <laughs> they don't want to participate in this kind of work um but man I want to know how Sonia's doing. It was it was really enlightening to hear from her family, her sister and her mom, but uh, I hope she's okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it might be useful for the conversation to actually take the two scandals and treat them separately. Uh, let's start with Annie first. Uh, so long, when you're watching Annie, or, or, so maybe let me ask this question differently. When I'm watching Annie, I'm seeing a person of color who is working in the criminal justice system who is trying to be like the best possible she can be and like the model minority. And in doing so is skirting corners and essentially screwing other people of color in particular disproportionately in the system. Did you read it the same way? I did. Um, what I saw with Annie was really the, the fight or the efforts to be accepted, to be the best, because I don't think she was only just facing pressure from uh, just being a person of color. I'm not sure if she was an immigrant or her parents were, but um, just just trying to be, to achieve this idea of the American dream of becoming successful. I felt the same pressure growing up and then pressure from her parents and probably most likely community too, because um, just the pressure to come to America to take advantage of your opportunity is huge. And I, I think she saw an opening and took advantage of that. And she was what, working for eight years before she was caught or was that for rock? I'm, I'm not too sure. It's been a while since I, I watched it, but um, for me, I, I really um, can understand why she did what she did to, to continue to put up this facade of being this excellent lab tester doing twice as much as her colleagues. And <laughs> what surprised me the most was the, her superiors, her supervisors or people um, just overseeing the department, allowing her to do that. And they defended her. That was the most surprising because when you see a discrepancy of, of twice the output of another person and they kind of just took that around with that without doing any um, investigation or didn't, didn't raise any flags and to even defend her was really surprising because it just showed me, imagine being a prosecutor and all you care about is conviction and numbers, right? Then you dehumanize the victims and you just become this product, productive machine. So I think there was a lot of pressure coming on her side too to, to um, produce but not do the right thing. And when you're in that situation, I often ask, like to ask myself, what would I do? Would I behave in the same way? Where's the integrity? Where's my, I, I start to question my own morale and integrity at, at that point too. But um, you know, I just trying to empathize with her um, of, of her upbringing and the pressure that she was um, you know, dealing with during her tenure there. I made a promise to myself a long time ago that like whenever I refer to the criminal justice system, then I would air quote criminal justice. Mm -hmm. And right. And, and what we're seeing happen here is somebody who is supposed to be a neutral arbiter and be serving the public as an expert, like a referee calling balls and strikes on police work, basically be co-opted by law enforcement and see herself as an advocate on behalf of law enforcement. And in doing so, she's lost perspective of the work she's supposed to be doing and the community that she's supposed to have served. And then the result of that was like literally thousands of people went to jail. Like, yeah. I really struggle with that. Yeah, I struggle with that too. And the, it, I think she just kind of got in, it got deeper and deeper and deeper. It got so deep that she's created a fake email to email oh, yeah. the prosecutor to... Uh, I don't know if she was romantically had a crush on him or just wanted to be excited. I think it's the fact of everything, but I think um, she wasn't stopped when she should have. So it just mm -hmm. kept going and going and got worse and worse. And then zooming out from looking at like the, the, the actually the, the two texts, there's the attempt of the state of Massachusetts to kind of like sweep this all under the rug and be like, oh, well, this only impacted, you know, this finite number of cases when they have no idea about when this started, when this ended, when this, when this, when this. Doug, and they didn't want to know. <laughs> right. They didn't. And that's right. the thing. They didn't want to know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, Doug, what what did you walk away like believing about the the drug war? Like, did did this shift your thinking about any of this at all? Like, I I know you're a, a merchant of doom and your your wallpaper yeah. screams it always, but like, did this shift your thinking at all about the drug war? I don't know that it shifted it. There there are two there are two images that struck me. Uh, one was a split screen of of 
of some of these cases that have been vacated. And um, the split screen was like a Brady Bunch thing, and it was all people of color. It was all black men. And then there was another shot of them in court that you see from behind, where there where where there's the issue of the vacation of the of the of the cases, and those are all black men. And that's you know if you haven't missed the point, you know if if you've missed the point in this documentary, you get it in those moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Katie, yeah, I want to piggyback oh, off what? Doug here. Sorry, just piggyback off Doug You're and good? and black men are already seen as criminals before anything. And then imagine all the police, uh, the cops that pulled them over, the planet fake drugs or on their body, and then it goes to this corrupt testing lab that will confirm it, whatever they put down, without even really testing it. So, and then when you when you're already seen as criminal, I mean, the criminal system is not justice system is not for you, and and it's never been. Nope. So yeah. I mean, is it corrupt or is it working how it's supposed to work? Exactly. Katie, there's two specific filmmaking filmmaking questions like production things that I'm curious about your thoughts. Uh, one, I'm curious, what were your thoughts on the way that they uh, replicated the trial scenes with actors? And two, I'm curious about where you think about the gaze and where the director and filmmaker decided to spend most of their time in between Annie, Sonia, and then like the lawyers doing the fight. Um, I got thrown off by the actor portrayals and I, and I actually kind of, I like, like that old school, like, um, you know, you would get like the little words at the bottom that said that this is a, a reenactment. I, I kind of needed that because mm-hmm. I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> How did they get this footage? <laughs> yeah. They kind of tried to pull it over on you a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it took me a second too, because, um, yeah, she's really I always, changed. I, like I have some, uh, when I'm trying to age people too, I could not figure out because I think in the in the <laughs> in her testimony, in the reenacted testimony, she said that she was like 37. And I was like, that can't be a 37-year-old. Mm-hmm. Who looks like that? Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, so I I didn't mind it though, because I, I appreciated hearing um out of someone's mouth that testimony. And I do actually think the actor did a, an incredible job. Like she was uh it was very sad to just watch her keep doing drugs. (laughs) And I think that was the point. Um, So I, I appreciated that, but I, I, yeah, a little, a little delineation of like, this is a reenactment would have been kind of, I don't know. We worked it out though. So I, I would say, I don't know, maybe ultimately uh, I appreciate the choice, but yeah, it was a, it definitely had some elements of being a little bit confusing initially. Um, Wait, what was the second question? <laughs> so how do you, what are your thoughts about where the filmmakers distributed their time? Mm-hmm. Like the amount of time you got with Annie versus Sonia versus with the lawyers fighting the fight versus the people yeah. convicted? Um, I think it kind of reemphasized uh, the filmmakers' preferences uh, mm-hmm. or kind of sympathetic alignments. Um, I really felt like um, the filmmaker cared really deeply about Sonia's experience. Um, Mm -hmm. And we never really got the hook for Annie. Um, I, you know, we were digging into Annie's strange, like email correspondences and kind of seeing her relationship with, you know, seeing herself as maybe part of the like Justice Scooby gang. Um, But we didn't really get any real info, I felt like, for Annie. Um, so really trying to understand her motivations. I mean, we get like this glancing mention that she actually has a husband and, you know, we don't have a ton of info about her backstory. So I think, you know, it's giving this story only four episodes is part of, of where we're missing information um, because it's obviously such a gigantic story. Um, but I also really, I really appreciated spending the time that we needed to with Sonia and also with Luke Ryan with his like hunky 90s name. Like who gets to be named <laughs> Luke Ryan? Will you please ask him that? Like how did he get that name? <laughs> um, and, you know, and then I wanted to know more about like the work that Luke Ryan's been doing and, you know, so it's, it's, it's definitely provocative and, um, makes you want to know much, 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 much more. Um, but yeah, I ultimately, I feel like having two 
these two texts at kind of the heart of it um, gave you, a, it, it was a little a push and pull, like neither of them got as much time as I would have liked. Um, like I could have spent way more time with Sonia and I think we needed a lot more time with Annie. Doug, go ahead. Yeah, I just I, – I, I think – talking about the filmmaker being sympathetic to these characters, I also think that, that Sonia was essentially exploited in the film too because mm. the salacious nature of her drug-making and drug-taking um, was the sensational aspect that the whole thing was built around. That's why it starts with her and then Annie becomes, you know, kind of bring her in when you need to. But let's really, yeah. you know, stay in the drug hut with Sonia and, and dig that. So I think it was – it's a double, you know, that's actually sorger. interesting for me to hear because like it, it worked. That, that's what worked. That works for, on me. I was like, this is crazy. This white woman is making crack cocaine from stolen drugs and smoking crack in a drug lab. Yeah. Like that, that was crazy for me. Mm -hmm. But then by the end, I saw the point that you were making earlier on about, yes, this crazy white lady is smoking crack cocaine that she's making in a drug lab. I just keep saying that because it's like so insane. But then like people of color are paying the price. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So we're gonna take a break here. And like, when we come back, I want to talk about, I want to zoom out a little bit. I want to kind of walk through Sonia's life. And I also want to talk about the systemic issues and basically the attempted cover up by the state of Massachusetts. Like their response is one of the craziest things in this entire thing. So we'll be back. This is Nate Bowling, Alaska Air MVP and host of the Nerd Farmer podcast. There are three places I call home right now. The first is Tacoma, OBS. The second is Abu Dhabi, where I'm teaching for the next two years. And the third place I feel like home is on board an Alaska Airlines flight, sipping on Northwest beer and watching free movies. When you spend as much time on an airplane as I do, you come to appreciate the finer things that Alaska Airlines provides. It's because at Alaska, customer service comes first. I see it in all the little details that make the experience of flying better free messaging and free movies on select flights, and of course, that signature fruit and cheese plate. When I fly, I don't even look at the travel sites. I go straight to alaskaair.com and book. Thank you, Alaska Airlines, for your longtime support of Channel 253. And we are back. I want to thank you for downloading the show. Uh, Channel 253 and the Nerd Farmer podcast are a labor of love that we take on here in the community. What we're trying to do is tell you voices, and sorry, tell you stories and give you voices you won't hear elsewhere. Uh, this work that we do comes at a cost and we would love if you would think about supporting the network. You can join Channel 253 with a membership. It's only $4 a month. Uh, that's less than you're going to pay for a latte, less you're going to pay for a shot at Doyle's, less you're going to pay for uh, a number seven with a side of rice at Vian Dong, by the way, support Vian Dong, uh, or $40 a year. If things are tight for you right now during the quarantine and you can't do that, I want you to think about other ways you support the show. One way you can do so is writing a review. It sounds stupid and hokey and every host says it, but it's true. If you write a review for the show, it helps people find the show and helps us grow the show. And I wanna read one review that we got. I appreciate this one from Dr. Mong. It says, I have yet to listen to the soccer theme podcast, but despite not being a fan of soccer in the Northwest, I'm looking forward to it. Nate has helped me resonate so many of my thoughts on education, what's happening in the world, and help me find other people who are listening too. So I want to thank you for that review. Uh, if you leave a review, it will help us grow the show. And I just want to say, like, thank you all for listening. We're nearing 100 episodes. It's really crazy we've been, been that far or gone that far. Uh, but thanks for tuning in. All right, back to this conversation. I want to kind of look at the systemic issues that are underlying this entire documentary and that are happening. Once the, like, the, the scandal is found out, the state of Massachusetts does a very like like robust investigation and basically wants to clear everybody's name. Right, Katie? That's how it goes, right? Oh yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> they do they dove road in for and were very justice focused. <laughs> Katie, Katie I, I struggle with this. Talk me through, like like talk me in the audience through like how effing ridiculous is the reaction from the state of Massachusetts? I think what's even like obviously this is systemic, but it's also like so grotesque in its banality that like it's so much work. So let's just ignore it. <laughs> like ultimately the people, because this is a series of people making a lot of terrible choices. And then ultimately those arbiters. And even when we get to see the new prosecutor, she's like, ah, I mean, we gave them like some documents. That was right, right? We did that. That was good. Um, it's just a bunch of people who don't want to know. 
So it's all the blinders come down and they walk away as best they can. But thank goodness for people like Luke Ryan. <laughs> well, and, and but there's so evidence basically surfaces that the well, so the state of Massachusetts tries to say that like, oh, the scandal's only been happening for this very finite period of time, right? Yep. <laughs> and then evidence surfaces that like it's been happening a lot longer, and it's Martha Coakley. And so, wait, does anybody remember Martha Coakley like from other places? Because I have a firm memory of her as well. Anybody else? No. Okay, so do you remember when Obama got elected in 2008 and there was a special election in Massachusetts for the Senate seat? Oh, and So yeah. Martha Copley was the nominee. She lost that election. Uh, that Republican dude won. That gave the Republicans the control of the Senate. And that's basically how the public option died with Obamacare. So like when I was watching, I was like, who is this Copley person? Why don't I know this name? Anyway, when the scandal comes out, they try to say that these things happen within this finite period of time. But then evidence comes out later on that like, oh, no, 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 no. Like the scandal is much larger and more pervasive and has gone longer than that. I, Doug, help me understand this. Like I, my, my struggle is, is like, Katie nailed it. Like it's banal, right? Like the, 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 the evilness is not the right word that I want to use, yeah. but just the, the rapidity which with the legal system switched to cover up mode was shocking to me, but in hindsight, I don't know why I'm shocked. Right. <laughs> well, the reverberation, I mean, you have 47,000 possible cases. I mean, it, it, that, like what Katie said, that part of that is just, part of it is laziness. Who wants to deal with that amount of work? That's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. But second of all, it just, it just you know, it's the, it's the dark heart of America, this endemic racism and, the, and, and mass incarceration is, is, is the you know, predominant example of that dark heart that has always been part of the American psyche. And this, this is just this reverb chamber of, of that darkness bouncing everywhere. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm excited for the conversation with Luke Ryan because I want to unpack what is it like to be a attorney representing one of these thousands of people who are caught up in the scandal. And like, I want to be really clear here. Like what I believe should happen is that any conviction that these women are connected to should have been vacated. Yeah. Okay. But that means that there's people who are guilty of crimes are going to be freed. And like, I don't care. Like, I, I, I don't care. Like, I, I, I guess my struggle here is that we know the justice system is unjust. We know that mass incarceration is uh, basically a, a, a way of, of, of dominating black bodies and putting black people predominantly, Hispanic, Latinos, and the wrong kind of Asians, right, in, into, into mass lockup. But the, to the extent to which it was just laid bare in this, in this documentary series, like I really, really struggled with it. And I, I, I don't know, like, like you all mentioned early on the sensationalism, like I bought into the sensationalism, but then like I was really convicted by the justice. Uh, so long, you have, some you have some thoughts and some experience uh, with people dealing with issues, issues of addiction in your life. How did you, like, so I'm imagining that you didn't get into the sensationalism like I did. How did you process watching like these people fall into addiction, uh, given like some of the experience you've had with people in your, your life? Yeah, I think it was, <clears throat> I, I think the documentary did really good or did really well on documenting the gradual process of addiction with Sonia Farrakh. Mm -hmm. As you can see, she started out just sampling a little bit at a time. And throughout the time, it was many, many years that she was doing this. Um, and I think she didn't mean to become addicted. And you just kind of do it. You get away with it. And the behavior becomes an obsession. And then it just becomes more frequent. And what drove her to the point where she got was, I think, was when she was able to get away from get away with it for so long. She was doing a little bit at a time and not even just doing a little bit at a time, but building up the tolerance tolerance for these drugs. And while she was at the beginning of it, she was doing drugs, she was being able to function. So she was a functional addict. And then as the dosages and, you know, her tolerance increased, she also increased the dosage, which really impaired her even more. So um, just, what I noticed was the gradual addiction and how subtle it was and how serious it got. Um, 
and it really um, opened my eyes to to my own habits because I I do drink on the weekends and I've been drinking for a long time just on the weekends and it's like man I'm, <laughs> am I addicted to alcohol but I don't drink it every day but <laughs> I do like to drink it though if it's around I'll drink it you know but socially but but just putting trying to put myself in her shoes where it becomes this kind of curiosity to try it. And then, you know, then, you know, she violated the number one rule of, you know, you don't get high on your own supply, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I think the access for her, it was just so easy. And there's, and with impunity, she was just trying everything in the lab and figuring it out. And to the point where it's like, she was cooking crack in the lab. Like, how do you learn how to cook crack? You know, but, um, to go back to your question, just the gradual subtleness of addiction and how it consumes your life and your career is really eye-opening, you know, to, to the, the behaviors and psychological aspect of addiction, too, and how that creates a physical addiction to how your body eats it. So, um, I don't know, it's just intriguing and interesting to me how one can start so innocent and, you know, without the intention of hurting anybody where doing these drugs become your priority and it consumes your life. And then you're not able to make rational decisions on how it affects others. And it's so common in our society than we think and know, or, you know, we pretty sure any one of us have friends or family that's battling addiction every day, whether it's gambling or I don't know what you're addicted. People are addicted to drugs. So, yeah, I mean, that's, 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 that's what I see. That's, those are my thoughts on her. In many ways, the film is a series of outrages, one of which is like more outrageous than the next. Katie, I'm wondering, like, what to you was the biggest outrage of the film? Hmm. What a good question. Um, hmm. Uh, I, I mean, what's, what's fascinating about the structure of the story is that she does demonstrate how interdisciplinary all of these outrages are <laughs> like mm. they're all connected um and when you think you understand um how this system um manipulates and oppresses and how it was created to do that you forget about all those tiny links um which includes everything from um Sonia growing up, uh, have struggling seriously with depression, not feeling like she's meeting her own um, expectations or, or potential and spiraling into um, the support system that she could create with the access to these drugs that she had. Um, so even just that one little link and then because of what she did, also enabling a system that I mean, the majority of these crimes were possession, right? I mean, that's how the drugs got there, possession. So that's it. So we have tens of thousands of criminals who just had some drugs on them, and many of them had those drugs planted on them. So whether these are, I mean, these, <laughs> from my perspective, this is not, these are not criminals. <laughs> like, many of them are not criminals. Um, and they're struggling with the same things that Sonia was struggling with. And because of her position and their position and the system surrounding it, I mean, I think that's what, that's why the, the story is so um, terrifying uh, is you see that Sonia's struggles are very similar to so many of these um, folks who were prosecuted for possession. Mm -hmm. And like, uh, yeah, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's deeply sad. It's deeply tragic. And we have built a system on top of that tragedy in order to perpetuate it. And that's, perhaps that is the biggest outrage. <laughs> that's the best I can do, Nate. <laughs> no. So when I said biggest outrage, Doug, your eyes got big, like you saw 20 bucks yeah. on the ground. What's your outrage? It piggies back on exactly what she's saying. You have this system that is incarcerating people on possession. And in the system, it's, it's, you know, she's a scientist. These people are scientists. This should be objective uh, information. But in the, in, the, 
in the administrative oversight, there's no freaking drug test for somebody working in a drug lab sending people to jail for <laughs> doing insane. drugs. <laughs> what the f- is that? Yeah. Salon, so your biggest outrage. <laughs> My biggest outrage is all of the the folks affected with convictions because I agree with you when you said if there's a break in the system, testing labs where there's thousands of thousands are affected, these people should be free because our law says they're innocent until proven guilty and they've been proven guilty with false evidence. Go ahead and preach. You know what I mean? So that's the biggest outrage when they know that these tests are faults and they've been corrupted, there's a break in the system and prosecutors still try to hide it. And, you know, they try to save face. The reputation is on the line as uh, anybody's career. They, they, when, you, when, you, when a situation goes and, you know, when it hits a fan like that, everyone is in self-preservation mode. So that's what happens here. Everyone's trying to preserve themselves, their dignity, their reputation, and their own career. So it's easier to sweep it under the rug than to, to fight it head on. So that's my biggest outrage of people being in jail for years trying to fight these cases and some not even being able to to get, be free or die in jail because they're waiting for their turn because there's so many there's such a long line to to fight these cases i think they all should have been blanketed and said you know you guys are all free because you know you're interested to proven guilty and what we used to uh convict you with is uh unreliable that's my biggest outrage folks are still in jail still i don't know how many still in jail because of these two you know they should all be it's free. hard for me it's hard for me because I hold members of the media in pretty high esteem. Like if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, like I've had journalists after journalists after journalists on this podcast. Uh, I have t- kind of two outrages. One is about like local media coverage and like the, if it bleeds, it leads coverage and sensationalism. Like there's a scene where like, where like the, the entire cadre of like Massachusetts uh, network news is camped out outside uh, Annie's house, right? Waiting for her to get, to get perp walked out of her own house. And like, who does that serve? Yeah. Who does that really serve? Uh, in another scene, they were sensationalizing the people who were basically being convicted and talking about like these hardened drug offenders are getting out. But like Doug and Katie both nailed it. Like they're, they're being charged with possession. Like these are not people that we were doing armed robbery, not arson, not rape, not murder. The majority, not, the like, vast majority. on Wall Street, oh. like, like just possession. But I, I think for me, the outrage, like, and, and, and this outrage is so... So subtle, the filmmaker didn't even catch it in the production. So you have two people who are working in drug labs, right? Okay. So you have Sonia Farak, who's working in a drug lab, who we've talked about and joked about, is like literally stealing drugs, making drugs, doing LSD, doing crack in the lab. Okay. You have Annie, who's working in the other drug lab, who's falsifying paperwork. Who got the longer sentence? Who did get the longer sentence? I don't remember. Annie, I think, Annie did. I think the Annie brown did. woman wow. got the longer sentence. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So the brown Sorry, woman got a longer sentence for falsifying paperwork, right? So even, <clears throat> even within this thing that's showing us the wrongness of the drug yeah. war and showing us racism within the drug war, like it went completely over the director's head to not even mention the fact that the woman of color who falsified paperwork is doing longer in prison than the white woman who was making crack and smoking it and falsifying paperwork. Like that to me is insane. <laughs> I didn't even know that. That's crazy. Insane. 18 months, two years. And by the way, both of them got, I'm like worked up now. Both of them got far less time than the people whose like drugs they were testing in the first place, even yeah. though it's all possession. Like Sonia had an entire car full of dope. Uh, don't let me stop. Let me stop. Let me stop. All right. I need to wind down. <laughs> Speaking of the wind down, uh, we'd like to end the show with a thing called the wind down. And normally what I ask people to do is to talk about like, who is somebody you think other folks should listen to? I want to give all three the opportunity to answer that question. Or uh, since we're all watching a little more TV than we used to during the quarantine, uh, what's something folks should watch? So who should we be listening to or what should we be watching right now? Uh, Salong, let's start with you. Um, Since we're in quarantine, I I would like all white people to watch the documentary 13th on Netflix. Oh, no. Uh, Vanguard of the Revolution. I think that's on Netflix too, or it used to be. And then if you haven't already, go ahead and watch When They See Us. 
you see a lot of parallels within the criminal justice system. If you've watched, you know, this documentary that we're talking about and watching the other cases and um, just watch these films and see how similar uh, these cases are against black people. Um, I also just watched Just Mercy. I haven't read the book yet, but I saw the movie and it's just, it's so similar the way this justice system works when if you're black, you're already guilty. There's, there's really, it's so hard to fight. And thank, thankfully we have so many people who are smart and willing to step up to do the right thing. And hopefully, you know, watching, watching all these films will bring a lot of insight on how uh, minorities feel about the criminal justice system and how it affects us and how, uh, how we live our lives is a little different. We, you know, we were always more alert and, and it's just a lot of insight to, I think for a lot of white people, especially white people who aren't convinced that there's any, you know, inequalities in our criminal justice system. Cause I run into people online every day that think that is equal and just, and it's perfect and it's not. So those are the, the films that I suggest anybody watch, but specifically more white people. I'm really struggling with like watching the reaction to the virus back home. And I can't help but notice that like white folks like not caring about the virus and being like, I'm gonna go out and do what I want uh, seems to coincide with like the reports that the virus is disproportionately striking uh, people of color, right? So like, because of all the built-in inequality in our system, people of color are, worse, are suffering worse from the virus. And that makes uh, shabby white folks feel like liberated and oppressed. And like they out here acting like they're Rosa Parks and don't get me started on that. <laughs> right, that's amazing. It's like, oh, I, I saw one dude with a sign that said, we shall overcome. And I'm like, man, you need to sit the hell down. Sit down right now. All right, Kathleen. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna take it in. Um, uh, I'm gonna give you another another way to balance out. Um, I. Salong's recommendations are um, really powerful and important, so I'm going to give you the the silly stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> I have been leaning pretty hard into animation since quarantine has begun, so um, I have revisited a ton of Studio Ghibli stuff, um, and I have to tell you, I also trained my cat to watch TV, and she loves animated films as well. It's the funniest stuff. So teach your, teach your pets to watch television with you. Um, it's good to hook them first with like some bird bird movies, and then they're in. They're, my cat stares at the TV and just opes for birds now. Um, so animation. Um, I have also restarted. Um, <laughs> So basically sorry, most sorry, Katie, Katie, yeah, go Katie, ahead. I got I got I can pump the brakes. You <laughs> taught your cat to watch television? It was I, an I accident. Need... <laughs> so there's like there's like cat TV, right? And it's just like birds eating and tweeting. And um my cat Volcano like <laughs> lost her mind. She was trying to get in the TV. It's like her favorite thing ever. And so now anytime the TV is on, she just sits in front of it and waits for birds. It's bird porn. And Oh yeah. And the, and it also helps you notice how often there are bird sounds incorporated into television shows. Cause she's like, they're here. My birds are back anyway. So um, my cat loves to watch television and she particularly likes animated stuff. She loves Totoro. Um, so <laughs> watch, <laughs> watch Ghibli stuff with your cats. Um, I also started rewatching She-Ra Princesses of Power because the new uh, 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 season is coming out this week. So I'm very excited about that. Um, and then I also like to revisit my favorites, the, you know, Avatar Last Airbender and my, my good buddy Korra. So getting, getting in with your, your avatars is always good. Um, but very honestly, yes, animated children's television programming is uh, excellent. But um, if you haven't watched We're Here, the new documentary series on HBO, it is just so joyful and poignant. Um, and like, <laughs> I have a whole Slack community that we built during quarantine in order to connect. Um, it's really, really awesome we have a whole dedicated channel just to we're here. So if you have not started watching it, 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 it will, you will sob with joy every episode. It is a beautiful, beautiful show. It's a good show. Okay. Doug, how about you? Um, I'd say check out Fiona Apple's new record fetch the bolt cutters. 
it's 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 kind of a difficult listen at times, but it's something else. And she made it at home, and I'm making a record at home, so I get that. Um, see, see, every time I talk to him, some new stuff. You're making a record <laughs> at home. Wait, what? I didn't know this. Yeah, 16 song concept album. That's awesome, Doug. Um, that that is mostly about um, about uh, toxic masculinity, really, within the story of a woman from her birth to her death. Um, the other thing I would suggest is, since we're all in quarantine, is uh, my favorite TV show ever was made in 1967 in England, and it's called The Prisoner. It stars Patrick McGowan. It's 16 episodes. It's on Prime. It is like psychedelia and way ahead of its time and fascinating, um, and it's about a secret agent or scientist who quits his job and is placed in a place called The Village from which he cannot escape. Um, and, uh, and, and, and little Richard just died. So go to the kitchen, put on some little Richard and listen to it really freaking loud while you make some dinner. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, if you enjoy this conversation, I want you to tune in next episode. We're going to have Luke Ryan from the documentary here. And then if you want to get ahead on the next thing that we're going to talk about watching, it's the documentaries, wild, wild country. Uh, again, it's about a cult in Oregon, who runs afoul of the local community and is one of the craziest things I've ever watched in my entire life. Uh, Salong, if people want to follow you on the socials, where should they look? Uh, at the fake Salong, um, Instagram, Twitter. <laughs> You've been putting in work during the quarantine, man. Like your, your social media game is on point during the quarantine for sure. <laughs> Very true. You and Katie, how about you? Family. <laughs> Um, I, I spend most of my time at, at, in Twitter and, uh, it's at Katie Niku, K-A-T-Y-N-I-C-O-U-D. I want to thank you both for coming on the show. I want to thank you, Doug, for being a guest. Uh, Wakanda forever, y'all. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. You do look shiny, by the way. I'm seeing it now. <laughs> I, it I looks do, nice, I, though. I, I do. He's, <laughs> he's, he's glowing. It's menopause. He's glowing. It's a glow. It's a glow. Nerd Farmer is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Interchangeable White Ladies. Give Me the Mic. We Art Tacoma. Move to Tacoma. Taco Man. Flounder's B-Team. Crossing Division. Citizen Tacoma. And What Say You? This is Channel 253.